This is uh, Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. And the page number is page 3 in your bulletin. It's on the screen now. It's going to come down. Mark 16, if you've got your own hard copy Bible, but if you want it in the bulletin, it's there on page 3, and we are going to refer back to it a good bit. The glory of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the Sabbath day was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Well, hey, everybody, if you've not been with us, we've actually been in the Gospel of Mark since January 2021, almost a year and a half. Now, we've taken some breaks and looked at some other things in different sermon series uh, between then and now, but we've gone back to it, and we're going to wrap it up today. You probably don't remember this, but I think I referenced it last week if you were with us. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the very first sentence in the Gospel of Mark refers to the Jesus story as a gospel, which if you didn't know means good news. Mark told us he was telling us the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the boring story of Jesus Christ that doesn't really matter, or the tragedy of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you've been with us, particularly the last few months during a real slow week of, uh, a real slow look at Holy Week, from chapter 11 of Mark till now, it's looked like the tragedy of Jesus Christ. But it's the gospel. And the reason it's called gospel is ultimately because of these verses that we read this morning. Mark 16, the end, verses 1 through 8. What is the message of the gospel? Well, I'm going to tease it out in a bunch of words. Hopefully not too many words. But before I do, in one word, what is the gospel? In one word, it is resurrection. Dead made alive. Nothingness, emptiness, despondency, end point, becoming life. Eternal hope. Resurrection. That is the gospel. And so very simply, I don't want to get cute on Easter. I want to get clear on Easter. So very carefully, I hope, and very clearly, I hope, 
all we're going to do is we're going to relate to these resurrection verses just like the first witnesses did, these women we read about in Mark 16. We're going to put ourselves in their shoes, and to do that, taking Mark's lead, we need to put ourselves in their shoes in two ways. One, on the way to the tomb. What did they expect on the way to the tomb? And secondly, what was the surprise that met them there? The expectation and then the surprise. Those are the two points I'll give you as we move along. So first, the expectation of resurrection morning. Really clearly, let me just tell you, they did not expect to find Jesus risen from the dead. They did not expect a resurrection. Verses 3 and 4 say really clearly, uh, on the way, they're like, oh, yeah, we got these spices. Who's going to roll away the stone, like this heavy stone that we saw at the end of chapter 15? They saw the stone get rolled in front of the tomb, and it wasn't until they were on their way they said, oh, yeah, we need somebody to help us. That is to say, they expected a closed tomb, not an open one, not an empty one. They weren't expecting a resurrection. Here's the other reason why we know they weren't expecting a resurrection. Why were they going? Verse 1, let me just read it again. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, the three women who it says again at the end of 15, watched from a distance as he took his last breath, and then from a distance watched his body taken down and put into a tomb, and then the stone rolled in front of it. They had gone to get spices so that might, they might go and anoint him. Now, this is actually really significant. They came with spices to anoint him. Why were they doing this? Well, a couple of reasons. One reason was it was kind of a sign of affection, honoring the body of, the, of a loved one. Like if you've ever gone to a funeral with an open casket, you know, the goal isn't, you know, to, to make you think the person's alive because you're looking at them. It's, the goal isn't to make you think they're asleep because they're, they're dressed up with makeup on. The goal is some kind of closure to honor the way you knew them, how you knew them. They're going to honor the body. But here's the other thing, and it's actually way more to the point, way more to the point. In their day, a tomb like Jesus's wasn't going to be used just once. What they're doing is they're basically doing what's called a primary burial. They anoint the body because guess what? Bodies decompose. And eventually, after the body of Jesus, they thought, had decomposed, you would go about what you'd call the secondary burial. That would be a gathering of the bones so that it would be taken out of the tomb and put in like an ossuary. So it'd be like a secondary burial. So you don't want this nice tomb smelling like death to the utmost. These spices were to kind of keep the smell of decomposition at bay for a very practical purpose. Great. Who cares? This is terribly important. Terribly important. Let me summarize it this way. The expectation that these women had, what they thought they were doing on Easter morning, was some mixture of duty and affectionately trying to make death smell a little better. That's all they thought they were doing, is to make the effects of death not reversed, but just smell a little better. A couple years ago, my family and I had a home repair 
debacle, and I know I'm not alone. Uh, there are 200-year-old homes that a lot of you own and rent, and here's our story. Uh, there was this pretty small room in the back of the house when we got it about seven years ago, and we knew it, we, we needed to do the drywall. It was crumbling all over this, all, all over the place. And when you rip out the drywall in that room, you find out, lo and behold, it's so bad structurally, we find out that the only thing holding it onto the house is the shingles above it. And so they had to tear the whole room apart and what it stood on, which was part of our kitchen. We had no idea. And so two floors just taken down, new footers had to be poured. And I'll never forget what the, what the contractor said to me when we first found out. He was an okay contractor. Don't let this spoil him for you. Um, he said, John, never open a wall unless you're ready to see something you can't ignore or something you shouldn't ignore, which I, I realized later was either really good advice or really terrible advice. It's really good advice if you just want to beautify the exterior. If all you want is to look at something that looks really nice and to ignore whatever is going on inside structurally, then that's great advice. If what you actually want, though, is a sound home, it's the worst advice you could get. Light exterior improvements to lessen the stench of death. That's all these women hoped for. Some light exterior improvements to lessen the stench of death. Now, I'm not insulting these women. I want to actually relate. Remember, I'm trying to put us in their shoes. What are the rest of us looking for wherever religion is sold? And if we're not careful, this place as well. What are we looking for wherever religion is sold? It's some kind of exterior improvement. If we expect anything from God, it is usually, and hear me, these are not in of themselves bad things. They are just relatively light in relation to what God actually has come to do. Most of us, if we come to him at all, come to him for things like a little beauty around the edges, a little more comfort around the edges. Maybe make us a little kinder. Maybe improve our relationships. Good things. Maybe even great things. But not core things. It's not that these things don't matter. They're just not the core, they're just not the core problem. And if we don't know what Jesus does for our core problem, which is death itself, we have not met him yet. We don't know gospel. We don't know good news. Certainly not as the gospel writers and the apostles passed it down to us. Let me put it to you this way. I think for a lot of us, our expectation is something like Botox. You know about Botox? You get an, you get an injection of something that makes things feel and look a little better for a while. And for the most part, God is interested in structural things, in resurrection things. So what's the gospel? I'll try to make it real clear. The gospel is the curse of death itself being broken to result in eternal life. 
in the resurrection of the Son of God. The curse of death itself being broken to result in eternal life in the resurrection of the Son of God. Here's how those women found out about it. And I'm going to turn you back to the text in Mark 16. This is verses 5 through 7. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. It doesn't use the word angel, but we know it was because every time in the scriptures when someone, are, someone encounters an angel, they're terrified. It's an angel. Verse 6, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. This is good news. Let me put it to you this way. Uh, do you know the difference between information and news? All news contains information, but not all information is, is news. News is urgent information about an event that impacts your life. My grandfather in 1945 got married and went on a road trip west on the way to uh, his next pilot training, he was getting trained to fly Hellcats in California for the Pacific War. And right after his, uh, his honeymoon on the road, they were turning the radio. This is how we found out the war ended, because it was, you know, obviously, no cell phones, no emails, no phone calls when you're in a car on an interstate, or there wasn't even interstates back then. He's on the road heading to California, and on the radio, he finds out the war is over. And let me tell you, that, that's the kind of news that changes his life. He's headed somewhere where he's replacing people who have died over and over again in the Pacific theater of war. And for all he knows, he got married just to go following their steps, facing very real threat of death. And all that's gone. It's done. It's over. Everything's changed. Uh, you can go down another road now. You can figure out what you want to do with the rest of your year now. You can figure out what the rest of your life might look like now. It's that kind of news. And just think about the ways that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was news for these women. I'm just going to give you a few ways. I guarantee you you can think of more. If this is true, it means Jesus was worth following after all. What good is a dead king, a dead Messiah? He's alive. He was worth following. He wasn't a failure. The most awesome military on earth couldn't withstand this love of God, this meek but powerful love of God. That's what the resurrection means. More. The resurrection means Jesus is still on his mission. And the angel said... He's going ahead of you to Galilee. Go spread the news to Peter and his disciples. Peter and his disciples just abandoned him, just shamed themselves by leaving him when he needed them the most. The resurrection means, apparently, 
that shame is not the final word, whatever you've done, or whatever's been done to you. The resurrection means Jesus actually wants to use people who have just had their worst day. More. He'll keep meeting us. Death can't be conquered. It doesn't need to be feared. You can face what's next, including the Romans who just crucified him without fear of your own death. This is all still getting sorted out in their hearts. But this was the news they left with. He's risen, and he's going to meet you. So let me end like this, folks. Uh, What do you do with news? What do you do with this news? I'm going to give you two things. Maybe, Maybe it's for all of us. Maybe it's for one piece is for you and one piece is for another person. You can tell me later. But the first thing you do with news, you receive it. You receive it. You let it impact you. You go to the one who has defeated death. Jesus Christ promises to meet everyone who goes to him. Let me put it this way, folks. I I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're here with a loved one who's a Christian, and um, you're here to honor them. Uh, Maybe you're here as somebody investigating the faith. Maybe you're somebody who's been a Christian for a long time. Um, I speak these next words not as an insult, but as a testimony of the Christian faith that we deeply believe. Um, Living a life for exterior beautification is no way to live your life. Living a life to make things a little bit a little bit more comfortably or a little bit more comfortable for you and your loved ones and a little bit more relatively meaningful for a little while is not any kind of life. That's what the scriptures hold out to us. This is the news of freedom from death itself and an invitation to live in light of that with a risen savior who remains with you. And that's news that marked the gospel writer and we heralding that news back to you 2,000 years later commend to you. That's news to be received that changes things. It's a good news. It's a piece of good news. And we believe it's a better way. We believe. We believe it's a better way. But here's the thing. Life in Christ, we also believe does something to the exterior stuff as well. Like, if you were going through a a home repair right now, what does Jesus have to do with this? What does Jesus have to do with my relationship that really is struggling? What does Jesus have to do with the job that I have that's terrible? What does Jesus have to do with the loved one I just lost or this illness I'm struggling with right now? What has a lot to do with it if, if, if you believe that Everything that happens to you right now, this day forward, until your last day, is with him, and then preparation to be with him for all eternity. Every little detail has new found meaning once that structural piece is right, once death is defeated, once you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. All these other minutes and seconds and hours and months and plans in your life, it's like you get them back. And in a good way that stings, 
you look at what your calendar looked like ahead of time and you said, I am actually trying to just spend time well between now and the grave. And that's not any kind of life. It's not good news. Receive it. Receiving the good news means receiving him. And so here's the other thing that it means. Here's the other thing you do with good news. You receive it. And then you spread it. That's how this gospel ends. Verse 8. Verse 7. Let me back up one verse again. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you in verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. There's two things we see here. One, the angel says, this is good news for you. Now go spread it to Peter and the disciples and you're all going to meet Jesus together in Galilee. That's the commission. And what do they do? They just run away terrified. It's like, go spread this good news. No, thank you. I'm going to go run and hide. We need both. This, this is actually, there's more good news here for us. And this is actually part of the good news. He remains with you after he saves you, and it's not because you're awesome. It's because he loves you. And he loves to use imperfect people to go about his beautiful work. I don't know what you think about Christians. I don't know what I've modeled to some of you and I may owe you an apology. But according to scripture, there is no such thing as a holier-than-thou Christian. There is no such thing as a Christian who thinks they're just a little bit better than a non-Christian or another Christian. I mean, God help us. You know, as much as we bicker, this, this reminds us that it's not true. Larry said it a couple weeks ago. What are we? We're just some of the beggars who have found the bread. That's what we are. Some of the beggars who have found the bread and said, it's here. It's here. And it's for sharing. Part of the good news is that God, Christ goes ahead of people who are still fleeing and trembling. In other words, the spread of this good news into the world never depends on human weakness alone. It depends on a powerful God working through weak people. There's nowhere Christ will call you to go that he doesn't go ahead of you. That's a simple truth, but it is a powerful one. There's no conversation you have to face this week, no place you have to go, no place. And some of you have to make a delivery this week. Some of you have to show up in a room with people you don't want to look at. There's not a violent corner that he calls you to in this city or in the world, that he doesn't go ahead of you to accomplish with you what you can't on your own. Eugene Peterson, he wrote uh, The Message, the, the translation of Scripture, The Message. Um, out of this verse, you know, past, he was a pastor for about 35 years, and he said every time he went to meet with someone, he looked at his calendar and said, okay, I'm meeting with Jenny today, then I'm meeting with Bill. He would go back to the Scripture and say, Jesus is has gone ahead of me to meet with Bill today, to meet with Jenny, to meet with Peter, to meet with Laura. Because he knew as soon as he showed up to that meeting where they were crying, when they were grieving, when they were depressed, when they were shameful, 
He needed them and he needed to know himself. He needed them to know and he needed to know that Jesus was already there doing good work and he was just showing up to meet Jesus in his good work. Friends, he really goes before you into that impossible conversation down that scary road. This is resurrection life. This is the road of resurrection life. It's not just true, it's useful. It's useful. And sometimes if you keep talking, you end up saying less. So let me just say this, folks. Um, Today, tomorrow, next week, next year, by Jesus' promise, uh, the gates of hell aren't going to overcome his church. And that means uh, you can hear me now and believe me later. (laughs) That means... uh, if you've been harmed by Christians, if you think they're weird, if you're chewing on this news and you're like, it's still settling, I hear you, but I don't know. We trust God with you. It doesn't work to sell religion. Nobody who's bought it has actually ever been helped by it. What these verses mean is that if Jesus is drawing you towards himself, We trust that he's at work in you. You being here is not an accident. You being right where you are is not an accident. I just want you to know you're not alone. And the mess of people in this room would love a chance to sit with you, be quiet with you, share a little bit of their story, whatever you need on your way with Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.